We need wisdom because we have lost our union with God. It's as simple as that. We've lost our union with God, therefore we seek the way of folly. We therefore need wisdom to help us reconnect with God. Because when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Old Testament, in Genesis, we ate the wisdom of God out of us. We took something that that was desirous in our eyes, but not in God's eyes. It says that Eve took that which was desirous to make her wise. And we've been on this path of folly in this world ever since. We need wisdom because we've lost this union with God. And wisdom will, the promise of Proverbs is that wisdom will bring us back to the union that God once promised to make with his people. So that's where we're going to be in Proverbs 3. We're going to see some of that. Um, We're in the third message of the College of Christ. This is going to take us to the end of October and we're going through this College of Christ. It's, it's covering the wisdom books. Christ is about giving us his wisdom. So, Proverbs is about um, primary school with Lady Wisdom. Ecclesiastes will graduate to university with Professor Vanity. And then we will experience the school of hard knocks with Job. That will be maturity with the sage Job. Now, our book, Proverbs, to give you guys a real quick context, the first nine chapters are letters from a father to his children, from parents to the children. And it's specifically vague so that this becomes a universal, all fathers and mothers to all their children, whether biological or spiritual. That there's a mentorship that's happening in the Proverbs. And along with these ten lessons of chapters one through nine, Lady Wisdom, the personification of wisdom herself, comes into the fold and begins to give some tutoring instructions along the way. We tonight will see one of her tutoring sessions. Then, chapter 10 to 31 is where the Proverbs proper occur. It's a random collection of wise sayings. A proverb is a short sentence founded on long experience. So that we don't have to take the foolish advice of the world to go live and learn. Instead, we can listen to Lady Wisdom and learn and then actually live some of you know from your testimonies half of your living life was figuring out how to live and lady wisdom can save us from a lot of that especially the young but the mature can also really build on and give wisdom to the world around us so what is wisdom lady wisdom claims that she was there at the beginning Actually, you can look at this in our chapter even. Um, 3.19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So there we have wisdom, understanding, knowledge, all of our synonyms for wisdom. He brought all creation into being with wisdom. So wisdom is part of the foundations. It's part of the fabric of what he's made. Therefore, The wise person is the one who understands how God's world works, which means wisdom is living with the grain of God's world. Foolishness is living against the grain because you want to do things your way. And the Proverbs will point out the myriad of splinters the fool will get in his life for going against the grain of God's world. 
Okay, that's wisdom. So tonight, Father, the Father, whom we can hear as our Heavenly Father, the Father and His tutor, Lady Wisdom, which, spoiler alert, but we've already said this in the past, Lady Wisdom is a prefiguring of Christ. They will teach us the many benefits of attaining wisdom. As you can see, the title tonight is The Benefits of Attaining Wisdom. And all of this will culminate. These benefits will culminate in access to that which we lost, the tree of life. Lofty promise that is being made here in the Proverbs, but it's now our duty to go and look at it. So, Proverbs chapter 3. Full disclosure, we're only covering the first half, but you're going to know about all of it. (laughs) Chapter 3, the third lesson from the Father begins in verse 1, and it goes to verse 12. You can mark that section as the Father's third lesson. In verse 13, we see, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. This is Lady Wisdom coming in and talking about herself. And we just read in verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. So 13 through 20 is Lady Wisdom's second appearance to tutor us. It's pretty cool. The father gives us his third lesson, gives us a lesson. Lady Wisdom comes alongside and says, let me, um, let me show you how this works. So Lady Wisdom comes at our elbow. And then the rest of chapter 3, this verse 21 to the end, is the father's fourth lesson. Now, I'm choosing uh, to focus on the Father's third lesson and Lady Wisdom's tutoring. Um, The fourth lesson is very, pretty much straightforward, and it tells us how to live with our neighbor. Wisdom basically isn't a jerk to your neighbor. Now, I'm not saying that in a way so that you think, oh, that's all it says, I don't need to read that. No, it is important, but tonight I want to focus on the famous verses here in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him. and He will direct your paths or make them straight. So, let's, uh, let's dig in here. The benefits of attaining wisdom. What does the Father have to say to us? Verses 1 through 12. The benefits of attaining wisdom. The benefits come, very nice symmetry here, it comes in all of the even verses. So in verse 2. We're going to look at the even verses. Length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. One of the benefits of wisdom, length of days and years of life and peace is the key one there. Length of days is not good if there's no peace in it. I don't want to live forever and suffer forever. Peace is what makes length of days wonderful. And peace here is the Hebrew shalom. We often in, in, in the U.S. think of peace as we haven't had war for a while, which isn't true, but that's what we would say with peace. Or no one's, no one's yelled at me. Peace. Um, peace in the, in the Hebrew tradition is the rich and integrated relational wholeness of everything working together. So there's a rich, integrated, relational thing going on with everything. It's all fitting. It's all working. It's the Garden of Eden. That was Shalom. This is why Jews to this day greet and depart from one another with shalom. It's a wish of blessing upon the person. Uh, Second, we see in verse 4, the second benefit. So you will find favor and good success, or that could read repute, reputation, 
in the sight of God and man, favor, success, reputation. Favor is grace. The Old Testament doesn't use grace so much, but this is what grace becomes in the New Testament. It's God's favor upon us. Undeserved favor and um, good success and reputation. Reputation is very important for wise living. It will save you a lot of mistakes if people know that you don't have the intention to fail or harm. A third benefit is in verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Straight paths. Oh, wouldn't it be great if you could get down the hill in a straight path? (laughs) Wouldn't it be fantastic if there was a little more of that up here? Life has its curves, but here we're being promised that one of the benefits of attaining wisdom is that the curves, for the most part, get straightened out. Oh, you will have your ups and downs, but, but wisdom will give you a straighter path. Or another way to think of that, that's the visual, a very just concrete way to say it is God will direct you. If your way is straight, you don't have choices. You don't have to be worried. Am I going the straight? It's very clear. I'm getting there. You're not worried about what's around the corner or what happens if it forks in the road. He directs us. That's a promise that wisdom will direct us. Uh, The fourth benefit of attaining wisdom comes in verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So our fourth benefit is healing. Now, flesh and bones, I'm going, okay, um, I guess if you break a bone, but what I found out is that this, uh, this flesh and bones is, it's a combo phrase in Hebrew, which generally it just refers to the physical and mental well-being of a person. It's just a Hebrew way of saying your deepest, deepest inner part, your bones, your mental being, and your flesh, the whole body. So it's this whole wellness happening with you. Does that mean that wisdom is just going to come and cure something in your life? Not necessarily, but it does mean that wisdom gives us such a life so that we can have mental and physical wellness. Because a wise person is going to learn how to have abstinence and self-control and not indulge themselves in harmful behavior. Now, verse 10, we have our fifth benefit, and it's prosperity. Don't worry, this is not a prosperity gospel here in Proverbs. We'll touch on it later, but it says in verse 10, Your barns will be filled with plenty, not just horses, but grains and and animals, which is like cars back then, and power to do things. And your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. The vats were the part that you carved into the rock to collect the wine that dripped down, or the juice that dripped down from the smashing of the grapes. Your vats will be overflowing. There's going to be an abundance of liquid for you. And then verse 12, our sixth benefit. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, which is good because, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So there will be this uh, benefit of wisdom is that we will be unto God a son in whom a father delights. There will be a relationship and there will be belonging in the family of God. That's our sixth benefit. So, what does this sound like to you? Peace, favor, direction, straight paths, healing, prosperity, and belonging in the family of God? 
Well, this sounds like all the boxes that would have happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, not to ignore the other verses, let's go with these now. The odd verses are doing something as well. The even verses gave us the sex, the sex, the six benefits of gaining, of attaining wisdom. The odd verses are going to show us how we get on that path. How do we attain wisdom? So, look at verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Don't forget them. Keep them. So, what is this? This is, if, if the first six, the benefits, the odd, I'm sorry, the even verses, if these are God's grace being given to us, Edenic life being given to us, then these odd verses are going to be how we receive his grace. For by f- grace you have been saved through faith. How do we receive God's grace? We receive it by faith. Sometimes we think of faith as something that's completely passive. I just believe. But faith is actually asking us to respond in trust to God. If you want to receive grace, we must enact our faith. And this is what the Proverbs are going to show us here. So the the six odd verses are balanced by the six even verses. Okay? Now, let's be very clear as we look at these The Proverbs are not telling us that we must work to achieve grace. Like, this is how you get God to look at you and give you these blessings of wisdom. It's not saying that. God is pouring these out upon his children. What we're being asked to do is to work in order to receive. We're not working to achieve. I'm not working to say, now I'm worthy of the blessings. I'm working to receive the blessings. If God is pouring them out, and I've got my arms crossed, and I'm interested in the things of the world, these these blessings are bouncing right off my back. The Bible gives us means of grace. These are habits that we put our faith into that open our soul to receiving God's grace. So prayer, for example, is a means of grace. God's grace is... It's being poured upon me continually. But if I never pray, I will never know that. If I never open the scriptures, I will never know that. There are ways that God has called us to participate to be recipients of his grace. So we see this perfect balance. It's not my work that makes it all happen. But it's not just God using me like a puppet and saying, I'll just do it all. You just sit there and get fat, spiritually. There's this balance of God is giving and we're receiving as we meet him. So the odd verses balance the even verses. So let's keep going. Verse 1 told us, uh, keeping God's commands and remembering them. This is one of our acts of faith, our means of grace. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and departness uh, and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Or the the New King James, um, instead of steadfast love and faithfulness, says mercy and truth. The uh, word hesed in Hebrew is a very big word. It's 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 the equivalent, if you will. I might be going out on a limb a little bit, but the way I understand it, it's the equivalent of agape love in the New Testament. Agape is that unique God love. Um, hesed is the unique love 
of the God who makes a covenant with his people in the Old Testament. So it translates in the New King James as mercy. It translates in the ESV as steadfast love. I love, I love mercy as a translation. It's a shorter word. It's just, there it is, concrete, compact. But mercy is, some have defined as the expression of God's love for his people, that that's mercy. That when we pray for mercy, we're asking for the expression of his love upon us. When we pray for the mercy on, for God's mercy on others, express your love on them. But anyways, the Hesed love, the Hesed faithfulness, the Hesed mercy of God, the one who makes a covenant with his people, that's what it's talking about there. So hold that. Hold that. Keep that dear and near. Don't be the person who walks around saying, God just loves everyone and everything, and it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, he does still love you, but if you hold, this is, this is our means of grace. This is our act of faith. This is our trust in him, that if we take his hesed for us, and we hold that deer, and we bind that around our neck, and in the end of verse 3 said, write it on the tablet of our heart. If we internalize, like last week's message, if we internalize his words, then, then, the grace of verse 4, we will find favor and good success in the sight of God. A man, it becomes capable. Uh, third, in verse 5, trust God with all your heart. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6 steals a little bit, just a line there. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Benefit, he will make your path straight. So the condition here, we must trust him. God can't make my path straight if I don't trust him. He's asking us to trust him. This is the heart and key of this entire lesson. We will come back to that word trust. Fourth, fear God and turn away from evil. It's in verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Such an important phrase in the Proverbs. Be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, what I think is wise. (laughs) That's very arrogant. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Where does wisdom start, everyone? Do you remember? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. There you go. Be not wise in your eyes, but rather fear the Lord, which means turning away from evil. If, If it's that healthy respect for him as judge, oh, if I fear his judgment, I will turn away from evil. Our fifth action comes in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. So honor God with your wealth. And the benefit is he will fill our barns and our vats will be bursting with wine. Prosperity. And then finally, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. In other words, accept the Lord's discipline. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So if we want the benefit of membership in God's family, we must also accept the discipline of our father. I don't want to go too far into this because this is not what we're emphasizing tonight. But real quick, if you are being disciplined and you're going through a hard time and you're going through suffering, first and foremost, that does not mean you're being punished. We sometimes think of discipline as punishment. Oh no, God's disciplining me. I did something bad. Nope, don't think that way. That's thinking I have to work to achieve grace. That's not it at all. Discipline properly means to train yourself 
Hence, the, hence disciples are those being trained by Christ. A discipline is a spiritual workout. If I want to uh, fast, I have to discipline myself to say no to food. So when God disciplines us, he's not punishing us. He's giving us a spiritual workout. Our hard seasons, the rough patches, God is showing you that you are worth investing in. It means he sees you as a child with potential, and he wants you to get there. So he's willing to put us through the disciplinary actions. Um, And remember, that's training. He's desiring to train us. Okay, so there you have the balance. We have... We have our six actions and the six graces. All of this showing us the way to the Edenic life. Wisdom promises us an Edenic life. But it culminates now. All of this culminates into the great summary of this blessing. That's what Lady Wisdom now steps in and does. She says, let me put it my way. Verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Blessed, that's the actual Hebrew word that Jesus is, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Same um, word strand that Christ uses in the Beatitudes. This is an Old Testament Beatitude. It doesn't mean, yeah, okay, we'll just go with that. Um, So she's saying, here's a Beatitude, find wisdom. You will have the enriched life, the Edenic life. That's what blessed means. Like, Ed- like Eden, if you find wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, 14. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. And her profit, better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. And boy, how Christ makes that phrase look all the more extreme. Long life. Eternal, in other words. Long life are in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. She is a tree of life to all who lay hold on her. That, brothers and sisters, is the culmination of pursuing and attaining wisdom. Yeah, we saw peace, we saw favor, we saw, we saw the benefits of attaining wisdom, But all of these add up to access to the tree of life. This is the Edenic life that God intended for his creatures to live with him. Him with them, them with him is the Edenic life. And the tree of life is what makes that kind of life possible. We were barred from accessing the tree of life. Lady Wisdom comes along and says, rather loftily, I can get you in. Wisdom is now the means by which we have access to the tree of life. And notice how she says, I am, well, she, it's third person, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. You can see her, I'm a tree of life if you lay hold of me. Fascinating that this is the same Hebrew word, one of the Hebrew words, that is used to describe the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. 
Pharaoh resolved, he determined, he stubbornly dug his heels in to refuse Israel's deliverance. What is wisdom saying to us? Stubbornly be determined, dig your heels in to do nothing and do not rest until you attain me, until you grasp me. The same stubbornness Pharaoh had, you shall have in pursuing wisdom. That is those who find her as the gate to the tree of life. That's an intense call. And we saw that in verses 14 and 15. The gain is better than silver, better than gold, better than precious jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. That's a lofty call. And that's why we must have the same. Hold fast, harden your heart to gain wisdom. The tree of life as greater than anything the world can offer. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I secretly, when that song was sung, when I was a teenager, I secretly always prayed. Well, in secret, I knew God knew what I was thinking, but I was like, yeah, but I wouldn't mind season tickets at Angel Stadium for a thousand days. Just saying, like, one day of worship versus that. I mean, come on, God. Like, what's, what's the deal here? Um, I understand now better is uh, I would never trade away even just a day in your court to have the world's riches. Um, it's just a way of saying, like, this is more valuable to me than anything else. And that's what Lady Wisdom's asking us to lay hold of. So through Wisdom, summary, Lady Wisdom's tutorship comes alongside and says, this is what your father basically said. Lay hold of me and you will have access to the tree of life. This is what humanity has been looking for since the dawn of time. No, no, no. Since Adam and Eve brought this great age of suffering. Thousands of years, the Tower of Babel was looking for the tree of life. They, in their own words, said, it will be at the top of our tower. We will be great. And every kingdom since has defeated others and ruled others and made stuff on the backs of others in order to create an Edenic existence for people, mostly for the kings, but for people. And none of this works. It works for a few. Some get the good life for a short season. But the rest of the world suffers under those getting the good life. Lady Wisdom sings because they've all missed it. They've all gone the way of folly. They've all been wise in their own eyes. I'm calling you to trust that this is the way to the tree of life. So let's go to the Garden of Eden, shall we? She brings us there. I am the tree of life to those who hold fast and hold me fast. The tree of life. That wasn't the only tree in the garden. We know the two. It's a tale of two trees. It's also a tale of two trusts. That's what these two trees mean. Two trees, two trusts. The first, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do you know that the Proverbs are really hard on the foolish person? You'll get that as we get into the Proverbs themselves. They don't have a lot of good things to say about the fool. Do you know one of the people that the Proverbs is even harsher to than the fool? I don't know. Did you say it? (laughs) Defined as... The one who is wise in his own eyes. Here's what it says. This is Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ouch. 
So that's going to sting as we look at which tree are we following. <laughs> now here's what's also really cool. I, uh, I had this thought and I researched it and sure enough, when it says the tree of knowledge, it's the exact same Hebrew word as Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So from the beginning, we have these two different paths. Is it, is it God's knowledge, God's wisdom, God's path, or is it another? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, we gain knowledge, the Proverbs tells us, we gain knowledge by fearing God. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was posing an alternative plan that instead we can gain knowledge by eating from that tree. Which means, if I don't have to do it God's way, then I can do it my way. That's the only other alternative. Which is actually the devil's way. Which is the alternative we didn't see ourselves stepping into. And so what that means is that when we take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we are choosing not to be wise through God's eyes, but to be wise in our own eyes. I understand reality. This is how I want reality to work. That's wise in my own eyes. And it's haunting when you hear Genesis 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Eek. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Wise in your own eyes. This is so severe that... In Romans 12, after Paul talks about yielding ourselves to the will of God, being a living sacrifice for him, he's given us the gifts of the Spirit in a manifold way so that we can all serve this to build each other up and follow his way. He then gives this list of commands, like be hospitable, uh, urge one another on to do good deeds. And then he says this one, never be wise in your own sight. This is such a big deal that I was reading um, this these last couple of weeks, I was reading from Evagrius, the solitary. It was a fourth century, I bet you can guess, a monk, the solitary. Evagrius, the solitary. And he said this, and this really stuck out to me. Uh, for I remembered it from three weeks ago. So I was like, this, this must, maybe this will hit someone because it's, it hasn't left my head. Evagrius said, in the whole range of evil thoughts, none is richer in resource than vain glory. For it is to be found almost everywhere. And like some cunning traitor in a city, vain glory opens the gates to all the demons. And by demons, he means the temptations and the passions and the sins and the vices. Wow, that was like, woo, wow, woo. Thing glory is, it's, it's right there, and it's like, I'm, I'm going to open the gate, I'm going to open the gate. And it's terrifying to think that this is no different than someone who's wise in their own eyes is the person who's seeking glory from themselves. It's someone who's seeking esteem in their own eyes. That's what it means. That's why we have such a warning. It's because the eyes through which we see the world are the eyes in which we will place our trust. Did you hear that? The eyes in which we see the world are the eyes in which we will place our trust. 
So if I am wise in my own eyes, which means I am seeing the world the way I prefer it to be, then I'm going to put my trust in myself. But if I'm seeing the world through the eyes of the Father, I will be putting my trust in him. This is how he declares reality. I will trust him. It may not be the way I want it, but I will trust him. The eyes through which we see the world are the eyes in which we place our trust. So, that blessed second tree, the tree of life. Through the tree of life, God provided Adam and Eve incorruptible life. He provided them inheritance in Eden. And he provided them communion and fellowship and union with himself. That's what the tree of life gave. On the condition, means of grace, faith, trust, on the condition that they go to that tree and eat from that tree. Then they receive, through the tree, from God, that incorruptible life, that fellowship, that inheritance. So in other words, the tree of life stood as a symbol And the tree of knowledge stood as an antithesis to that symbol of trust in God. Adam and Eve are put in the garden, and here it is. From the very beginning, we must live by trusting in God with all of our heart and leaning not on our own understanding. If they go to the tree, it's demonstration that I see the world through God's eyes. I therefore trust him. I want what he's giving me. That's what eating from the tree symbolized. It's faith. But eating from the tree of knowledge is rebellion, it's autonomy, it's self-rule. It's saying, I see the world through my eyes, I'm right in my own eyes, and I want to do things the way I think they should be. So I'm going to trust in myself, in my own knowledge. Crunch. Crack, splinter, ashes. So the tree of knowledge, trust in self, the tree of life is trust in God. By choosing the tree of life, they chose God's reality. And that changes everything. He's the creator. He's the judge. Remember, that's what it means to fear him. Reverence him as creator. Reverence him as judge. He's the maker of reality, and he's the one who will hold us to account to that reality. So what does it mean then to trust in the Lord with all your heart? This is verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Verse 7 belongs. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away. If he's given you a path, then turn away from that path. Turn away from evil. Trust in the Lord means two ideas here. Trust means that we cannot lean on our own understanding. Right there in the verse, it tells us to trust in the Lord with all the heart means that we cannot lean on our own understanding. I cannot find security in my version of reality. That's not trusting in the Lord, that's trusting in myself. And I am not wise in my own eyes. So we're just recapping what we've said there. But trusting in the Lord means we cannot lean on our own understanding. We cannot be wise in our own eyes. We cannot have security in our own reality. Second, to trust in the Lord means to seek security 
in God by inhabiting his reality. Seek security in God by inhabiting his reality. Sometimes we seek security in money or in insurance or in a relationship or in if only I can get that raise or that promotion or find the right church. These things are fine, but these are not the security we want to dwell in as reality. Dwelling in God's security. That is what it means to trust. Here is an example. In the book of Judges, it uses this word trust to describe people who are living quiet and secure. What an interesting picture. The Israelites are coming to land, they see these people. Quiet and secure. they got a good life. No one's bothering them. They're secure. They never worry about things. Dwelling in that position. That's trust. Interesting concept, isn't it? So that this is what the Proverbs are calling us to do with God. We're to live secure and quiet in him. Because we're trusting in his security. We're dwelling in him. And then you'll notice the word uh, in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and your paths will be straight, or he will direct your paths. To acknowledge is the same word Adam knew Eve. You know what I'm saying? Um, and throughout the Bible, when it talks about know, the peop- and my people shall know that I am the Lord. This is So it says acknowledge, but it's the same exact word as know. Those who, um, in all your ways, know the Lord, and he will make your path straight. So this word know is to have experiential knowledge. So in other words, to acknowledge him in all your ways is to experience his presence in all you do. That's what it means. If I'm experiencing the presence of God, if I recognize that it's not just on Sundays or when I'm living a good life, that if I am seeking and acknowledging his presence in my life always, I will be on the road that's straight because I'm living in Eden. Here's the beautiful thing, is that this, we have the tree of knowledge, trusting in yourself. Boo. We have the tree of life, trusting in God. Good. And then, In the New Testament, it's made abundantly clear to us that Christ becomes what the tree of life was for Adam and Eve, Is Christ is for us. For Adam and Eve, the tree of life gave incorruptible life. In Christ, we receive God's incorruptible life. In Adam and Eve, God gave them inheritance in Eden. In Christ, we are given inheritance in the kingdom of God. In, In the tree, Adam and Eve were given union and fellowship with God. In Christ, we are given union and fellowship and communion with God. Jesus Christ died on a tree to make our lost way found through the death of, through his death on the tree. The tree of death has become the tree of life for us. So that when we read Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we find that the renewed heavens and new earth, obviously Edenic, but better, has the tree of life in it. The whole Bible's message is we lost, we lost this tree of life. We will regain this tree of life by he who died on the tree in the center of the story. So here, Lady Wisdom grants us access to the tree of life, but now we see the fuller picture. God grants us access to the tree of life through Jesus Christ. So from which tree do you eat, brothers and sisters? 
Are you wise in your own eyes? Are you wise through God's eyes? Here's a trust test for us to see which it is. Number one, here's your test. See how you do. Do I let the Bible overrule my own thinking? Do I let the Bible overrule my own thinking? Now, this is totally different than do I let the Bible agree with my thinking? Because what happens is when I let the Bible agree with me, it's not obedience, it's coincidence. It means that I have been so saturated with my ideas from culture that the Bible just so happened to agree with that viewpoint. But letting the Bible overrule my thinking is, I think this, but ooh. Am I going to be wise in my own eyes? Or am I going to eat from the tree of life? Am I going to come to Christ and say, I trust your word. I may not want it to be real, but I trust it. Do I let the Bible overrule my thinking? The Bible will show you how not to be wise in your own eyes and how to be wise through God's eyes. So read it and let it overrule your thinking. It might take time. Don't feel panicked if you're like, I don't agree with this. I haven't agreed with it for a year, but I'm trusting God. Great. He will work that into you. Keep trusting him, though. That's lean not on your own understanding. I understand it this way. Okay, but lean on Christ. Lean on Christ. Number two, do I make decisions that surprise people in the world? In other words, when the world sees my values and my priorities, do they consider them foolish? You see wisdom telling us to, to seek her, verses 14 and 15, seek her more than gold and silver and every precious gem and everything you can desire. That is foolish talk to someone who does not know what Lady Wisdom's offering. Or, do my risks and sacrifices made for Christ confuse the world? If they do, good. But if not... If they're not seeing my life as foolish or my life as confusing to them, then it means that I'm probably living for the same earthly destination that they're living for. We've been given access to the tree of life. We should have some decisions and some values in there that startle people who are outside the church. Do I make decisions that surprise people in the world? Number three. Do I honor God with my resources and my wealth? Verses 9 and 10 actually take a lot of trust. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It does not tell you how that's going to happen. And it doesn't make sense. Leaning on my own understanding, I cannot see that exporting $1,000 will import more than that. That does not add up. What is this? This is, a test of, this is a test of faith and trust is what it is. God didn't seek to explain it. Right after saying, trust in me with all your heart, he then hits humans in one of the places that it hurts really badly. And he says, honor me with your wealth. I, uh, I trust you in everything, but here I need this. Oh, so is that your security? No, I trust you. Really? And here's the other problem. When I don't honor God with my resources and my wealth, you know what I'm saying to him and to myself? 
yes, that. I don't trust you. But it's also saying, I think I deserve all of this. Oof. Every penny, I deserve it. Here's another thing. Honor the Lord with your wealth. The word honor means to make heavy. You give honor to somebody, you're putting the weight of glory on them, right? You're, you're giving them this, look at them, and there's weight upon them now. They're not just this frail little human, like, ooh, they're powerful. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It means to make heavy. So here you go. God's pouring out prosperity upon you. Are you going to hoard it? Are you going to hold all that? It's going to be really heavy. Or are you going to give it to him and let him carry it? And here's what I think the proverb is saying. If we allow God to carry the heavy load, he can carry more than I can. So there will be more of it. Now, this is not to say that we, God is a vending machine, and if we hit the right buttons and give the right stuff, we're going to get a lot more. It is not asking us to use God. That is being wise in your own eyes, and that's being a fool. Rather, here's how Matthew Henry puts it. Matthew Henry, that 17th century English pastor, he said this, God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use. God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show, for giving away, not for holding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do more good with. That's the prosperity we're being invited to. As we give God honor, he will continue to give us means of giving him more honor. Fantastic. Do I honor God with my resources and wealth? And then fourth, do I participate in Holy Communion? Eating the body of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus signals our trust in him. Just like eating from the fruit of the tree of life signaled humanity's trust in God. So when Christ comes to us, he says, this is the new tree of life. I'm not giving you pears or apples or whatever it was that was in the Edenic tree. I'm giving you myself. And if we eat from Christ you know you trust Christ. Furthermore, as we eat from Christ, he is building up in us the ability to trust in him. And this is giving us the ultimate communion in him. Because he's now coming in us and we are going in him. This is why we call it communion. It's this two-way street. It's this union with Christ. It's this fellowship that he has invited us into his life. As the tree of life brings us into Eden, he is bringing us into the kingdom of God. And there we have that oneness, that union that we lost. We need wisdom because we lost union with God, right? Folly has made this need for wisdom. We now have Christ, the expression and enfleshment of wisdom for us, leading us back to union of God. And he offers himself to us in the fellowship of his people, fellowship with himself. Here's... I understand church is, it's, you know, what it is, and it can be awful, and it can be boring, and it can be redundant, and it can be whatever, and everyone has opinions about what people should do. I understand all that. Believe me, I do. <laughs> um, but, but, the person who says, I have union and fellowship and communion with God on my own, 
It's a man who is wise in his own eyes. It's a man or a woman who is not trusting in God of giving himself to us through the communion of his church. So communion is communion, not because it's us coming with God, but because it's also us coming to him with each other. And when I say we have Holy Communion every Sunday at 5 o'clock, this is what I mean. We have been in communion. Because where Christ's people are together, he's manifesting himself in their midst. And we cannot do this alone. Yes, you can have experiences by yourself, but you do not isolate yourself because that's a person who does not trust. And often what happens when people don't do church anymore, but they're still saved and still Christians, what ends up happening is they've been burnt. They no longer trust in pastors or churches or institutions or other Christians. And like, I'm going to do it my way because they all burnt me. I hope you hear how that sounds. I'm going to do it my way. Frank Sinatra's famous song. He actually, there's a line in there, I did it my way. There's a line in there, he says, I didn't do it the way of those who pray, I did it my way. Very, very, like, wow, that's an interesting song in context. He did admit, though, that it was a self-indulgent song. Glory be, he had some wisdom there, but... <laughs> Anyways, um, so, okay. But so as we come to God's Holy Communion, it is also, like the Tree of Life, it's an act of trust. We're giving ourselves to him. We've, we pray every week. Before we take communion, we do not presume to come to your table, O merciful Lord, trusting, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your great mercy. Taking Holy Communion is an act of trust with each other and an act of trust with our Father, that he will indeed give us Christ and that he will bring us in to his fellowship, his communion. So, brothers and sisters, Union with God is indeed better than the gain from silver, and it's profit better than gold, it's more precious than jewels, and nothing we desire can compare to this great union and fellowship with God. For from it, we gain long life and riches and honor. Through God's eyes, not the way I would perceive it. Let us pray. Eternal and creating God, our source of all wisdom and life. May your spirit rest on us.